Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Woodzik. This is episode 94 with Corey McDaniel, who is flippin' awesome. We've been on a bit of a hiatus because I've been figuring out my life uh, now that I got accepted into Naropa University's MFA in Contemporary Performance program. And Olina, of course, has been hard at work uh, on all of Island Shakespeare Festival's incredible 2016 season. But we have some more episodes in store for y'all. So we're back. The Mustang rides again. Aha! Okay, a few things before we get to the episode. First of all, if you are around Whidbey Island or Seattle area, I would love it if you came to my farewell concert. It's happening on July 23rd at 7.30 p.m. at Whidbey Children's Theater. I'll have more info in the episode description. But I will be singing 21 songs from 18 musicals. Yes, that's a lot. It's going to be a lot of fun. Special guests Michael Morgan, Catherine Lynn Morgan, and Gabe Harshman, accompanied by Eric Vanderbilt Matthews. It's going to be a lot of fun. There's some Sweeney Todd and Into the Woods and Cats and Hedvig and the Angry Inch. Lots of great selections, and it is my farewell love note uh, to this area before I move to Boulder. What else? So this episode is sponsored by Queer Pride on Whidbey Island. All the events this year are running August 12th through the 14th. 14th is when the big annual, third annual Pride Parade is going to be. Check it out if you're on Whidbey. Remember the Family Guy episode? Cool. Whidbey Island. Check out Queer Pride on Whidbey. Uh, visit queerparade.com to find more information. We'll have that in the episode description as well. Corey McDaniel does everything, basically. This is a rundown of all the events that we go through in the episode itself. We have a link in the episode description to theater22.org where you can get more information on everything except Island Shakespeare Festival season. You'll have to visit islandshakespearefest.org for that have that in the episode description too. Biggest thing coming up this week, Julius Caesar opens. Corey McDaniel has been directing that hard at work with the repertory company members of Island Shakespeare Festival. So break legs everyone on the Julius Caesar opening. Sunday, August 21st at 11 o'clock is going to be Theater 22's fundraiser and darling it's going to be a breakfast at tiffany's brunch and silent auction it's a much smaller venue than they've had their events at before so make sure that you rsvp what else uh the construction zone a month-long new works festival produced at aft theater that's going to be running september 14th through october 5th and then their big production to round out 2016 is The Pride, which Corey is directing. That is October 28th through November 19th. Like I said, more information at theater22.org. All right, folks, off we go. Episode 94 with Corey McDaniel. I'm sitting in my living room with the famous 
Corey McDaniel, whom I love, and I just, I adore your work and just you in general, so I'm glad you're here to talk theater. I am so happy to be here and to actually be under a fan <laughs> because we're outside working and it's fantastic to be here. Great to see you finally. Yay! So you are hard at work on Julius Caesar for Island Shakespeare Festival. Correct, yes. How have been re- rehearsals going, how have been huh? rehearsals going <laughs> so far? Uh, I am real great at talking. This is like the first interview I've done in, in after a bit of a hiatus, so uh, getting the gears going again. How are rehearsals going? They're going absolutely fantastic, but they're brutal. We've got 16 actors in three different productions wow. rehearsing three different shows a day. Um... So all kinds of amazing, incredible things are happening. I, for example, I'm in the nine, uh, six to nine o'clock slot. So I get actors and they are toast. So there's obstacles and challenges to doing three shows a day outside. Um, many challenges that we're learning to overcome and get through. However, I couldn't, I'm so impressed with what's happening just in general. Like this is, you know, uh, <laughs> balls to the wall everybody's working hard we're right. all getting dirty you know it's uh, and the stuff that's coming out of it is remarkable it's just incredible to see what's going on you have such a great group of actors the the ensemble this year for Island Shakespeare Festival absolutely incredible really really powerful people um, just great souls great artists great discipline and a lot of repeats from previous years of Island Shakespeare Festival so uh, they're kind of a guide for all of us as to how we function in this environment and in, in this schedule. And then uh, some newbies from Seattle. We have some Seattle people in uh, this year, which is fantastic. Sort of bleed what's been going on uh, here on the island with some of the talent in Seattle and sort of see if we can't merge our communities more together. Yes. I love that. I love that. I mean, really, that's what this podcast is all about. Like, Blending the Whidbey in the Seattle. Yeah, it's fantastic. So when did Julius Caesar, when did this idea get pitched to you or did you bring it to ISF? It was actually, it was very, very interesting. So the show was actually chosen well over a year ago. Um, uh, I've been sort of aware and following and a part of ISF uh, peripherally for a couple of years prior to this summer. Right. And um, once Rose brought me on board, it was, it was, you know, what shows are you interested in? And she literally came to me and said, if you could stage any show in this setting with my support what would that show be and i I sat on it a little bit and also keeping in mind what had been done and what is appropriate for these audiences um and one day over coffee in wallingford uh, i said you know i've had my eye and my mind and my heart a little bit in the direction of julius caesar for a while and she lit up she was so excited because she said i was good could bring you this idea today and see if you wanted to go with it so we sat on it for a few weeks and we tossed some emails and some ideas back and forth um and it landed quickly we knew that this was something we wanted to do wow wow yeah and it's actually what's so exciting about it is the fact um you know the for the shakespeare festival the season as a whole is so intriguing and fascinating because there's three very different productions Three very different directors and three very different styles. And I have taken um, Julius Caesar literally in the direct, in the absolute direction I wanted it to go. Rose has been incredibly supportive and, and just really supporting that idea of, of build your vision, build your vision, build your dream. As with, all, with whatever resources we've got, make it happen. And so um, I am still two weeks out from opening mine. 
but I am so pleased with where we're going. It's very exciting. I think it's going to be an incredible experience for people to enjoy this particular piece in this setting at that time of day, you know, right in the new theater. Yeah. And that sort of segues a little bit into, I mean, kind of an obvious question, but we're in an election year. How does that inform rehearsals and your vision of this, you know, piece that goes way back? Well, the timing of having a political tragedy in an election year is not accidental. Right. We can say that. And it does. It, it, it has fueled it a lot. But what's what's interesting is is that the current political climate, we, we have only gone there a few times in our discussions and rehearsals and table work because what's happening lo- you know, on, on the national scale is so absurd that there's almost no reality to it. It's so absurd to us. Yeah. It does fuel us. But what we're doing in Julius Caesar is a, is, is a play about people and it's a play about fear and it's a play about power and the desire to have power. And it's this incredible piece about human conflict over right and wrong and over doing what you think, doing bad deeds because you believe they're well supported, that they're, they're justifiable. Right. I just, I am just starting to listen to the second season of Serial, which is all about Bo Bergdahl. And, uh, it just sort of struck a chord with me because he, when he walked off that base, it was to do, right? He knew mm-hmm. he was doing a bad thing, but it was to make a statement and then he gets captured, which isn't Julius Caesar, but right. yeah, people have these, what they think are pure intentions, mm-hmm. right? To get shit done. And then sometimes it just explodes. Well, and that's the theory too. I mean, that's one of my philosophies as a human being and as a director, because we have to dive into these kind of people all the time is the fact that we're not born... We're not born evil. We're not born bad. We're not born manipulative. You know, generally speaking, there's there's an underlying reason that we're making choices to behave in these ways that that in our hearts we feel we're we're justified in, in acting this way. We're doing it for a greater good. And it's it's going to be in conflict with somebody who's also doing their greater good. Right. And that's what this play is about. So more than anything, I think it's fascinating to have this political tragedy up at this time as our political, our national presidential political hoopla is so out of control. It's just out of control. Um, so, you know, I'm not sure that I fully answered your question, but those are the thoughts that it stirs up in regards yeah. to what's going on, you know, in a politi- in this political year. Absolutely. Can we dig into your vision? Like where, where, where did it start? Where has it gone? Now you're actually getting it up and you have designers and actors and all of that. Yeah. What was that art? So, um, I, 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 you know, I'm always leery when I tell people this because it's some, uh, sometimes I'm a very visual director. And if you've worked with me, you understand that I am a visual director. Mm -hmm. Um, I, and it's with Shakespeare, for example, let's take Shakespeare. We're going to put this play in a park. There's going to be planes. There's going to be fireworks in the background. There's going to be stuff going on that's distracting. And the text is difficult. And Julius Caesar is not a play that is easily understood without some study. So we have to do a remarkable job of breaking that down for the audience. We literally have to feed them what's happening or they're going to disengage. Right. And one of the tools that I use in doing that is to create, hopefully, a visually stunning production so so that we remain engaged. And I'm just a visual individual anyway. I love beautiful things. I love elegant, uh, visually elegant 
presentations on stage. Mm. So I have put it in traditional Roman attire with the help of our costume designer and set designer, Pete Rush, who's amazing. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I have, I have to say, I have pretty much zero set. But my costumes are my set. And they are fantastic. So I started there with a visual idea of, of in period for the most. Uh, it is in period. Um, we've, we've swayed and in, in, in relaxed in certain situations. For example, I've allowed women to have power. I have omitted all of the situations where women were degraded because there's a lot of them in this script. That's not necessary. We don't need that. It's it's not going to move our story forward. Get Fucking it out a. of here. Right? <laughs> Good for you. So um, that's where we started. And and of course, you know, in in that that visual vision, uh, the next steps, of course, are breaking the text down to where the actors can really, really clarify it for the audience. And um, I'm just, I have to say, I'm super excited about where it's going in regards to all of that. It, I think it'll be a magical experience for people. And I think it'll be um, a memorable experience uh, to receive that vision because the actors are... are, are um, doing beautifully with it and not without uh, perhaps some struggle you know especially Shakespearean actors definitely want to get in and they want to find the text and they want to find it and they want to have it be organic and I don't necessarily work that way I actually stage it I create all the pictures I need first and, to, and they, they could kill me sometimes for it because I say no <laughs> here's your blocking this is how I want you and it can be very uncomfortable for them and their job is, is to justify it their job is to find the reason why they're there I, I I can suggest it, but I start with pictures first and I build from that because I need to keep this audience engaged, especially in this environment. Not to say that we're not clarifying the speech because we're doing that, I think, very well. But um, that's been a fun process for the actors. There was a little bit of pushback, a little bit of how do I do this? And, you know, and I it just comes back on a nightly basis to you've got to surrender and you've got to trust me. I'm not going to fail you. Don't fail me. I won't fail you. Let's do this together. So... That's how we're going along. Oh, I love to hear you talk about this. It's obvious that you're just, you're in the thick of it. And it just, obviously this is an audio medium, but seeing the spark behind your eyes, just as you talk about that. Well, I mean, I love what I do and I love actors. I mean, that is where I get, I, the, ultimately it's the craft of acting that I love more than anything. And so, um, I do recognize that I'm giving some of these actors a brand new way of working, right? And they're some of them are giving me brand new ways of working. It's glorious. It's, it's a give and take situation. Um, but yeah, there is a sparkle in my eyes because I am in the thick of it and it's all got to be done in three hours a night. <laughs> Don't even get me, you know, we'll start right. our fights on Sunday. Like we haven't even gone there yet. Like it's, there's a lot to do. So that's, that's part of the struggle too with this, this summer stock kind of theater is how do we accomplish the goals we have to accomplish in the limited amount of time we have with the amount of energy this cast is going to have after having already rehearsed six or seven hours a day. I can't wait to see this. Thanks. <laughs> what am I? Am I sort of right in assuming Julius Caesar, not the most produced Correct. of Shakespeare's works? Correct. Why and how? Why? Why? Just because of the difficulty of the text? I think the text. Once you understand the text, it is so beautiful. It is some of the most beautiful poetry about human nature and human choices I've ever read. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, I think that it's, I think that the perception is, is that Julius Caesar is a play about the assassination of Julius or that it's a play about Julius Caesar. It's actually a play about Brutus and right. it's about his struggle and the choices that he makes. Right. You know, we, uh, um, 
Julius Caesar, without any spoilers, his assassination happens early on in the play. Right. And the, the remaining portion of the play is about the ramifications of that and what happens when choices were not appropriate choices and how the public responds and how governments respond. And uh, so, and I think, I think that might be one of the reasons why it's not as widely produced because it's not about Julius Caesar. It's about other elements. It's almost as if there's two, possibly three plays within this one play. They're all, they all have the same through line, but there's the play leading up to the assassination. Then there's the play following the assassination. And then there's a scene here and there that, that are their own little plays because they're, they get to the crux of what it's about to be Brutus or to have made the choices that Brutus and Cassius have made. It's very fascinating. And I would actually love to talk to you about that after you see it and see if you can tell me why it's not produced more often. Yeah, no, we will, we will, we'll circle back. We'll go to the, we'll go to the tap room and, and have some beer and talk about it. Uh, can you tell me about your cast? They're amazing. So there's, um, they're, with the exception of, I think, two of them, they're all new to me. Uh, there is one brand new to the company that is new to all of us, uh, Stephanie, and she's just fantastic. Then there's a group of actors that are re- repeat actors that have been company members at, at Island Shakespeare in the past. So I've already seen their work and I'm very familiar with what they can do because I've seen all the plays for the last uh, two years. And then... Um, then there's a small group from Seattle. So all of those I'm aware of or I knew of or a couple of them I had worked with before. And they're of all different ages and all different backgrounds and different skill sets. And um, quite amazing. It's, a, it's really amazing to watch uh, how they process their daily list of to-dos. <laughs> well, imagine the, the pressure of one show. You've got one show right. opening in a week or in a month and how much energy and life force you're putting into that one show. Well, these people are juggling three, three shows. They had dress their first costume tech dress rehearsal yesterday for Jane Eyre. Today they have their first costume tech dress rehearsal for As You Like It, right? right? And they're rehearsing the other plays in between and they've got lines to memorize and costumes to get accustomed to and a very multi, a multi-leveled set to work on and sleep to try to get and food <laughs> to try to cook and all of these things that they have to do, fights to learn. <laughs> um, so my respect level for this group of people is out of this world. And what's fun is that all of the directors are very, very sensitive to the needs of the actors. We're very sensitive to where they're at. And we see them, they're pushing themselves to limits. I personally have never seen an actor push him or herself to, ever. And they're doing it beautifully. We've not had any fallouts. We've not had any breaks. We haven't broken anybody yet. Knock on wood. They're all, (laughs) you know... So more than anything, I just want to convey how much respect I have for them and the ability to jump from one character that might be a stoic Roman soldier to, you know, the light, fluffy, you know, out of control, funny, comedic character in As You Like It to a Victorian butler in Jane Eyre and do it so beautifully that you literally, that's the same actor? That can't be the same actor. Wait, it is the same actor. All of them. All of them. Respect way up high. It's if you the could, ra- the if range, you can see my hand, yeah. it's way high, way up high. The range and the dedication. Yeah, and just fun. They've all got a great sense of humor. They've all got they've all got something very special that they're contributing to the collective. 
personally, not necessarily just professionally, but say this one's always positive and always upbeat and always has a fun anecdote. This one's protective and fatherly. This one's, you know, it's, it's just great to see how they've melded together and, and, and how they're going to meld together and what they're bringing to the community as just the artists that they are. It's Katie. It's, it's amazing. Oh, I'm so freaking excited to see all these shows. Uh, so, folks, if you're coming from Seattle, it's really not that far. We promise you. It is so not far. <laughs> it's not even 20 miles, technically, I think. Right. I think it's it, it cracks me up that people are like, we'd be so far away. It's not that far away, folks. And you don't want to miss because you can come up in July, August, September, mm-hmm. and you can see three different shows. Come up on a Thursday or Friday, stay and see the other two. It's all past the hat. And yeah. so, you know... And I love that that's Rose's mission, that it's accessible Mm -hmm. to everyone. Um, And so folks are going to want to visit islandshakespearefest.org. The doors open at 5.30 for each house. The tent opens at 5. And the house opens at 5.30. I just got this today. And the show starts at (laughs) 6. Yes. So you're catching the show literally as the sun is just going down behind the trees. Mm. And it's sort of uh, sunset-ish and just fantastic time of the day. But yes, to answer your question, we are not that far. And and even if you didn't come up for a full weekend to catch all three at once, right. this makes this is actually literally one of the most ideal day ventures you can have if you live in Seattle. Absolutely. I know that the last couple of years we would come out, we would head out this way around one or two, depending on the day, because and, and, some days are heavier traffic than others. But we'd come out early afternoon, we'd hit a winery, we'd walk around and do a little tour of shopping in the little village downtown in Langley, and then... Um, Catch the show with a picnic, and then after the show, go to the tap room and have a drink, and then catch the ferry and be home by 11, and it's a perfect day, and you feel like you've left town, because it's about the experience. It's not just about the show. It's about the right. whole package. I love it. Where where do, where would you... So you're, you would recommend folks come to Langley mm. beforehand. What are some of your favorite spots? Like, what, what if you were to curate someone's experience coming up from Seattle, <laughs> what would be your top picks? Well, what's funny is that I actually don't know the name of anything. I, I just know where I go. I know I go to Useless Bay Coffee yes. for my coffee. I, I, I land in Langley and I immediately go to Useless Bay Coffee. Then I walk around the shops right there by... by um, Second Street, First Street. Yeah, Second Street, drag. First Street. And then we'll go down to the, what is that lovely wine wine tasting room? Aunt Murphy. Oh, that's where we had a couple of our uh, promotional events early on so for good. the summer. Yeah. So good. Right on the water. And then you go down the little walkway down to the water and you enjoy the water for a bit. Take some photos and then you head to the amphitheater. And you can start, you can you can get some pizza at the pizzeria. You can go to the Star Store, load up on their deli, yeah. Yeah. get stuff there. This is, I mean, it's a commercial, but also, like, there's a heart connection for me and for you right. to this experience because <clears throat> one of the reasons that I've been on, you know, I'm leaving soon, but I've been on Woodby Island for nine years is that within basically one square mile of each other, you have Woodby Island Center for the Arts that produces five-show theater series season, 250-seat house, Woodby Children's Theater that produces both teen and youth productions, 500 seat house and a smaller black box. Outcast Productions, which has a 50, 50 to 60 seat house, and Island Shakespeare Festival. There are four theaters within, you know, walking distance-ish from each other. And it's, for an island that is this small, especially on this end of it, that's incredible. It is incredible. And what I've always been amazed at is how much support 
these these ventures these creative ventures have yes they, people are where are these people coming from <laughs> it's fantastic people are someone was saying yeah people come up like I'm I'm close as we're recording this I'm closing the flip tonight people come up from uh, Bellevue they're coming up from they're coming from Seattle great you know just in terms of like the because I'm a marketing geek but like the analytics on like websites and brown paper tickets and all of that like there's as many people who will like hop on to have a day or a weekend on Whidbey and see a show um, as folks who live here and that's this beautiful supportive artistic It's fantastic. Community. Well, and that's the thing too. Uh, as a producer, I'm aware. I'm always listening and trying to, like you, always following analytics and trying to figure out right. what's working, what's not working. But research suggests that that the play itself is the third reason that people attend. What are the first two? <laughs> I always screwed this up because I always remember one of them. The other one, I'm like, well, what's the other one? Um, uh, basically, it's uh, to be a part of something community like to be a part of a community to be to, to to feel infused in the community and the other one is uh to have an experience so you figure i figure as a when i'm producing i think okay their experience begins the moment they leave their house right yes. so that's yes, why yes, yes. removing obstacles like parking dinner childcare, all of these things are really important um and so Bringing it back to Whidbey Island, Langley, Clinton, they're coming to this island to have a getaway, to get away from their lives. And this, uh, this, um, you know, amazing, hopefully amazing play at sunset in this forested area is icing on the cake. It's like they want to get out of the city. They want to catch the ferry. They want to do a little touristy shopping and grab an ice cream cone and a coffee and a glass of wine and a dinner and then catch some Shakespeare in the park. And then have a drink after, perhaps, you know, watch the sun go down. It's it's all about that entire package for them. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. All right, we're gonna go, we're gonna go back in a time machine. Sure. Now, Corey. Okay. When okay, so you talked about your love of the craft of acting. Mm-hmm. When does that start for you in the timeline of your life? Like when when does your relationship with theater start first off? And then when do you have that like bell at your core that's like this is this is like a lifetime thing for me? I knew in sixth no seventh grade. I knew in yeah. junior high seventh grade that I was going to have a career in the arts and I was going to be an actor and probably a director if I felt like it. <laughs> in my junior high days, that's kind of how I looked at it. So I knew early on. Was there a production that like solidified that for you? You know, I came from this tiny, tiny little town in West Texas in the middle of nowhere, uh, literally. And I always, I, this is how I always refer to it. One high school and 48 churches. Big old no! Southern Baptist and Methodist churches, right? And in, in the literally in the middle of nowhere. You have to drive two hours to hit anything else uh, in West Texas. But from this tiny little town that when I was growing up was population 11,000. Now I think it's down to about 8,000. 11,000. When I was in school, there were several celebrities from that hometown. Um, Powers Booth was one of them. Barry Tubb, who was part of the original Brat Pack for a brief period during that that time. Uh, There was two different soap stars, Dane Witherspoon and one other, I forget his name. Um, So there was already, from this little baby town in the middle of Texas, a handful of people that had said, I can make a living in the arts or as an actor. And so um, there was that... Because, of course, this you know small town of Snyder, Texas, immortalized these individuals. You saw Inspiration. Folks, yeah, you yeah. saw folks who were getting it done. <laughs> yeah. It, it didn't seem impossible to right, you. Right, right. So then, literally, I mean, I, I dabbled in all kinds of things when I was in school, but I was always in theater. I was always in 
drama and speech and debate and anything I could do to perform and to get me out there. And it, it just stuck and it, and I have not stopped. And certainly there's times when I might have, you know, might've life or, or financial needs might've pulled me out briefly, right. but never for very long. And I, th- and this conversation just came up in the green room on a break the other day. It was like, you know, how do you, Corey, how do you, how do you, live a life in the arts and I say you just commit to living a life in the arts no matter what you and you have to be multi-talented and you have to have several resumes and you have to be able to bend and you can't say I'm only going to be an actor no you need you might need to teach you might need to work in radio you might need to direct and produce and market there's a million things you can do to support yourself while supporting yourself in the arts but it really comes down to just making the commitment that that's what you do ah I love that. Can we get that on the throw pillow? <laughs> right. Or I, I, it's it's funny. Such an odd experience for me. I was working at AWP a few years ago, which is this big writers writers conference, and uh, someone who I had gone to high school with happened to be there. Hadn't seen them in like ten years, and I was, I think, like a lot of theater kids. Like I was real awkward. <laughs> In high school, it was theater was the refuge, right? And so I was never quite popular or whatnot. And uh, she was saying, well, everyone everyone thinks you're doing so great. You're acting and you're directing. And I just joke because, you know, I don't... I get paid to direct, but rarely to act. But that doesn't negate it, right? You still Agreed. have a life in the arts. Yeah, you are who you are. You are who you are. And what you do to pay your bills and your rent could be a different conversation or a different situation but if you are an artist you simply are if you're an actor that's just who you are and you do it or you don't the end chills chills Corey chills I love it uh so where do you go what where what, what's the next stop on the Corey McDaniel Express after Texas where where do you go from there I uh then I well I I was I my first professional show was an outdoor production okay. of a show called Texas. It's very touristy. Oh my God. It's a 400 seat amphitheater in the middle of a canyon, down the bottom of a canyon. And it was huge with, you know, a 12 piece orchestra and 80 singer dancers. And it was attached <sighs> to the local ballet company. And that was my first professional show. And I understudied the lead. It was a three hour musical at night for four months in the summer, right? And I understudied the lead, which meant I actually had a speaking role of one line in a three hour musical. <laughs> so I had a little bit of time on my hands and asked the ballet company, the master of the ballet company, if I could study with the dancers. I always wanted to be a dancer. So smart. Right. So I did that for the summer and then they offered me an apprenticeship with their ballet company, the Lone Star Ballet. So I did that for a while. And then through that, I met uh, all of our tech team and our designers always came from California. And I always knew I was going to move to L.A. and be the actor in L.A. So um, ultimately made really great friends with these designers and tech people that would come into Texas to do our shows and then piggybacked on one of them to, for a place to live in LA uh, where who worked for Disney Productions. Uh, so that was my shoe into Disney Productions, which was a whole nother path down the road. That, yeah. Wow. And what that's are, how I ended up in LA. What are some What are some of the rest of the, like the greatest hits? Because I know you as Theater 22, Seattle, but yeah. there's all this backstory that happens between, you know, Texas and there. Sure. What are some of the greatest hits? Well, you know, what was funny is I was a pursuing actor in, in LA. Um, and interestingly enough, I took, I, I, I was working in a hotel to survive. I was 19, 20. 
lost my hotel job because the property closed down. So a buddy of mine got me a job in Disney parades. Okay. Right. So I was like, and I, and I thought it was so funny was I thought it was, I was almost ashamed to have that job because I was, I'm 20. I need to be doing, you know, real work. <laughs> <laughs> Little did I know that that job would lead to me to my first national tour, which was Disney theatrics at the time, which is now known as Disney, Disney Broadway. So I was literally a part of the very first cast that went out and tested the market in the United States, Canada, Mexico, and Europe to see if Disney could make money outside of the parks. I have a review from 1992 or 93 um, framed in my office that says, from one of the Broadway reviewers saying, Disney may have sold out Broadway right now, but never in a million years will they succeed in our market. Well, now look at Disney. (laughs) So I did that for a while while I was trying to pursue... um, acting and had a brief stint on Days of Our Lives. I was on and off for Days of Our I Lives. Didn't I didn't know, know that. Yeah, I know. A lot of people, things you do in your 20s, right? <laughs> um, and then uh, I spent 10 years in Los Angeles and, and was uh, uh, another one of my survival jobs was I was always teaching at some acting studio and was an on-set acting coach for teens and young adults. Oh, wow. I like to call myself an interpreter for the director and sure. actor. <laughs> And then, uh, and I had always wanted to go to Asia and work in Japan, and I had several almost opportunities, and then all of a sudden one showed up to go teach at a performing arts school, so I took it. It was a nine-month job. I was in, I ended up staying in Japan for two years at this really fantastic performing arts school of 200 Japanese students. Wow. Um, met my husband, my now husband while I was there. He Aww. was there working. He's from Brazil, so when we left Japan, we moved to Brazil, and then I taught English for a couple of years, right? And then... Um, while we were uh, processing immigration and all that crazy stuff, I ca- came back to Dallas after two years in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Uh, and then he came 10 months later. And he, we so we stayed in Dallas for a year. He stayed there for a year. I was approaching two. So that he could get to know my family and stuff like that. And then he one day says, you know, I love Dallas. I think we need to start shopping for a house. And I'm a West Coast guy. And he'd never been out of Dallas. And I said, honey, pick a city on the West Coast. We are leaving in six weeks. <laughs> And we left in seven and we picked Seattle <laughs> because I needed a city I could work in. And I knew that right. Seattle was thriving creatively. Um, we also had friends up on Victoria Island from Japan. Some of our best friends live up there. So that's how we landed here. But it literally was a pick a city. We've, we're moving. And this is where it ended up to be. Brilliant. So what year, is, what year did you move up We here? just celebrated 10 years in Seattle. 10 years. Yeah, in so April. You're about the same as me. It's um, funny though because I still sometimes feel fairly new. Isn't that strange? I think... I feel like that's such a Seattle thing. It's the Seattle freeze. It sticks. Yeah, it totally it sticks. is. Yeah. It totally is. Uh, I love it. I just, when's your memoir coming out? Because <laughs> I would read the hell out of that. So how many years before you uh, you moved to Seattle, how many years before you start the idea of, of doing your own, uh, having your own company? Well, I've always wanted to have my own company. And I actually tried it in, in Los Angeles, kind of. But I didn't. I didn't have the community there. It's not. Um, it's not a theater city there. I didn't know anything about raising money or nonprofit administration. Granted, I've worked in so many different at so many different theaters in different capacities that I needed a decade, two decades of experience of learning how to manage nonprofits and market right. things and right. education departments and all of these things in order to build. Um, so there, that was always the goal. That was always the goal. And uh, I had taken uh, interim artistic director at a theater, and it 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 a lot of great work got done, but it wasn't 
it wasn't the best pairing, mm. you know, and it needs to be a really fantastic pairing in order for the organization to grow. And so when that didn't continue, I had, was turning 40 in just a matter of months. And I literally was like, I'm 40. I cannot keep starting over. You know, like, what am I going to do? And yeah. there were some offers on the table to move into some upper management at local theaters. Nothing I felt was an absolute perfect match. Right. And so I was like, you know, it's time to shit or get off the pot. So I sat down at my desk and literally seven weeks later of nonstop plugging away between right before Thanksgiving and the end of the year, I processed everything. I created all the forms, the templates, the applications to the organizations I needed support with and everything and just flew. And then, you know, seven weeks later announced we were having a company and that here's our first season of three shows. Let's do this, people. And we're in our third season now, approaching our fourth. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. And everything, the first show I saw <clears throat> with Theater 22 was uh, the Lisbon Traviata. Uh, cause that was one of our, that was a strong one for us. I'm Eric. glad you caught that. Yeah, yeah with Eric. Uh, and I just, I don't know, integrity is a word that, comes up when I think of you like both artistic integrity and like just as a human being and I feel like every production I've seen that you've produced through Theater 22 just has a high level of artistic integrity to it. Thank you. I think it is important and not to say that we don't all have some shows that will occur or have occurred that, right? that have not been strong representations of, of who we actually are as artists. Those that's gonna It's inevitable. It's part of the exploration of the art, art form. However, I do believe, and it's it, a lot of this is my redneck Texas background, where it's like, if you're going to do something, boy, you do it the best you can, right? <laughs> so um, I try to infuse that into everything that we do. Yeah. And I, if you, you know, I don't, and I also believe it's, it's very, it's the struggle of theater for as long as theater's been around to get people engaged and interested in theater, because it, it's... Um, I also know that every show that I produce or direct or get up or help get off its feet, that show is going to be a first time show for 30% to 70% of your audience. Are you going to win them over for life on this show? Or are you going to toy around and experiment with ideas that may or may not work? You just, so I, I have been criticized for playing it safe in some situations, but I believe that one, if you're going to do it, do it right. Do it the best you can. No holes barred. You and your team collectively come up with the smartest, most effective choices you can. Uh, and garner these audience members. Court them. Perform, produce, play for them. They're the ones showing up. They're the ones covering the ticket price. They're the ones paying for things. Right. And this goes for your donors as well. Like, we're not, we can't, you know, I, I said this recently and it, I said this recently in another conversation where the most important thing we have to remember is that it doesn't matter who is the artistic director, who the board president is, or who the founder is. Your company belongs to your donors, your patrons, your artists. It belongs to the people that keep it open. So they have to be happy. And that means you have to do work with integrity. You have to do the best damn show you can. With the resources you have. Not to say we're not going to screw it up every now and then. <laughs> Give me a chance. I'll, you know. <laughs> how did you, how did, 
how did Julie Beckman, how did you, how did you meet Julie Beckman and how did she become sort of a staple of, of who you work with? Oh, Julie Beckman was my first director in town. Okay. And this is actually interesting because when we moved to Seattle, we owned our car, our clothes, our dog, and a crock pot. And that was it. And so I took the first <laughs> job I could get, which of course was in a restaurant, right? Okay. And after a year and a half of managing that restaurant, I woke up one day and went, holy shit, what am I doing? I'm an actor. I'm a director. What am I? So I started getting out and catching theater. And I saw one of Julie's plays at a tiny little theater in Wallingford, Stone Soup Theater. Mm. And it was one of the most meticulous, well-detailed, and honest productions I had seen ever. So then I started following Julie. <laughs> And courting her a little bit until eventually she was my first director. And we'd hit it off and we'd become friends. And um, and she ever since then has been the person the in the industry that I go to with my director dilemmas and my actor dilemmas and, you know, bounce ideas off of because we both have that high level of, of expectation. So um, we've been kind of a staple for each other ever since. And, and since opening uh, Theater 22, she's my primary advisor. I mean, I have a small core group of people that advise me that I turn to when I don't know what choices to make or when I'm bombarded with choices that have to be made. Uh, but she's the one that has, has been the staple the whole time, her and her husband, Paul. They're just very wise and they're, they're the ones I turn to when I'm not sure what to do or when I'm about to make a major decision. She's the first one I turn to. And then she's uh, of course directed now three productions for us. And I, couldn't have been more pleased with with the production values and quality. Water by the spoonful. I mean, I still. And that was a production. game changer for our company. There were people walking in with reviews from the Seattle Times and the papers, going, right. "I got to see this show," and leaving just completely emotionally changed. Yeah. And other people coming in saying, "I my friends came last weekend, and I brought five people, and I brought eight people, and it just changed everything for our company." And those people showed up to the next show. So. Uh, thank you for saying that. We were very, very proud of Water. And that, that cast was just remarkable. The and the way you used, you used the space, I thought that was the best the best I've seen West of Lennon used. So. That, that was, yeah, that was Julie's. Julie had a very, very uh, strong ideas about how to play these isolated, indi- these individuals who were living in their isolated cyber worlds. Right. You know, so, uh, and Montana Tippett, our set designer, so they, they, they uh, built together the ideas on that. What draws, in terms of curating the works that you produce, what, what are you looking for in, in plays? How do you find plays? How do you put seasons together? What's, sure. What's, what are the inner workings? What's there? interesting, what's funny is that choosing se- a season is actually the hardest thing that I possibly have the responsibility of doing. Yes. And I did not know it was going to be so hard. <laughs> and there's a lot of logistical things that, there's a lot of logistical things that need to play into this. Like, uh, what is our ratio of men to women? What is our ratio of white to color? What stories are relevant today? What's our ratio of comedy to tragedy? There's a lot of things that need to balance out that overall season. And it, it's taken some experimentation for us to try to find what our voice is and who our audience is. But the one thing that we kind of realized in the last year is the fact that our play, and this is what I tell people when they want to bring a play to me, a pitch or an idea is that the play first and foremost has to, has to offer some form of healing. Mm. I need my audiences to walk away as if or have the possibility of walking away from our productions, feeling as if somewhere in their lives, they have the potential of putting a period on that sentence that never had one. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. So I think they need to have a sense of reconciliation 
a sense of healing. And if you kind of look at the place that we've got lined up from water beyond, that's what they're offering. They're offering closure to these characters. These characters are, 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 are needing a sense of closure in some emotional situation in their lives. And that closure is presented in the play or the potential of that closure is presented in the play in a manner in which people who are observing it in the audience can walk away feeling as if they're not alone in the world. They too have the possibility for closure, whatever that may be. So to sum it up, healing. Our shows have to have healing. How did you come to that realization? Like, did it just smack you over the head one day, or those the shows that that had a sense of healing and reconciliation have been our most successful shows. They've just been our most successful shows. Uh, and watching, I mean, I'm at unless I'm unless I'm in rehearsal or or in a class, I'm at everything we do at every right. production, and I'm there to greet them when they come in, and I'm there to talk to them when they go out, and it's what the the audiences are telling me, and it's the kind of shows that they're telling us that they want to see, um, and how they're affected by Water by the Spoonful or Annapurna, or how they're going to be affected by the next one or the next one that we've chosen. So that's that's a lot of it. And then, of course, again, those logistics need to play in as well. Absolutely. You've got to think about all of that stuff. Do you think audiences crave stories like that because, to, to make a really broad generalization, where with you know the prevalence of technology and all these digital things, we're, quote-unquote, connected, but from a distance. And so there's... there's it, people crave to be in a room connected... In, in a room, dark room, connecting with characters, having, I don't know, I just feel like this is a rambling question and I will find an answer. I think I know where you're going with okay. this. I think that, what I think that people, I think, and I don't think that they actually necessarily verbalize this or are even aware of this, but I think that what people do require on some emotional level is they need to see themselves. Yes. They need to see themselves. They need to see something they can relate to. So I may be sitting in the audience and I may not be able to to associate, to fully understand or associate with the life of, say, a Latino, you know, uh, veteran. But I can I can relate to his struggle to reacclimate to the world, right? That struggle I can relate to. That that burden of of self-discovery, I can understand. No matter what the outside circumstances were, I understand that core emotional experience. And that's what our audiences want, and that's what people need as individuals, is to see themselves reflected. And and I think that that's, that's what we're trying to do, at Theater 22 at least. Love it, love it, love it. So, if folks aren't familiar with Theater 22, you can get... All the news that's fit to print at theater22.org. Correct. They can also check out your Facebook and... Twitter. We're on Facebook and Twitter. And eventually I'll get Instagram going. But <laughs> so much social media. So you have so many exciting things coming up between now and the end of the year. Let's talk through them. Sure. So annual fundraiser, breakfast at Tiffany's. Woohoo. August 21st. Tell me all about it. Okay. So our fundraisers. So our fundraisers have actually, we've had two fundraisers in the past and they've been rather elaborate parties, <laughs> literally, because I looked at our first couple of fundraisers and thought, what can I do that can get everybody involved? Because a lot of the people I know don't have a lot of money. So we threw these big parties with a, a sliding scale ticket price so that at different levels you could afford it. And they pulled in 178 people the first year, 160 <sighs> people last year. And this year has been so busy for us and so, like a lot, you know, 
um, the new Playwrights Festival we'll talk about in a minute came up last minute, which absorbed a lot of time. So I woke up in the middle of the spring and went, I don't have a fundraiser scheduled. And of course, it's almost summer and it's wedding season. So all the venues are triple the price. We can't waste all of our money on a venue alone. So we had to get creative and think of a fundraiser that was still affordable for our people and uh, could still raise some money and a, and, and a fun experience because that's kind of one thing I, I pride myself on is that I, I kind of know how to throw a good party. Yeah, you do. So um, a girlfriend of mine suggested, why don't you do a breakfast at Tiffany's brunch with a silent auction? So we're literally, it's going to be so no pressure, but we're literally um, breakfast at Tiffany's brunch. It's a three-hour brunch. We'll have downstairs open with a silent auction so you can auction or not auction. No pressure. It's silent. Do what you want. <laughs> Free-flowing mimosas and Tiffany Blue Cosmopolitans at 11 in the morning. How fun yes. is that? Yes. Uh, August 21st. And then uh, and we'll mingle downstairs. We'll all get a little toasty off some morning champagne. And then we'll go upstairs and we'll have a lovely brunch catered by um, a wonderful company, Ravishing Radish Catering. That was a plug. And <laughs> uh, since they are my sponsor, of course. Um, and we'll hang out and we'll talk. And I'll, I'll, I'll address, like, here's what we're doing. Here are our plans. Here's what's up next. Here's where we need your support. All of that stuff, and then we're done at two o'clock. So it's nice in and out, lovely cocktail Perfect. attire, the whole thing. What? Uh, what's the venue? Oh, uh, uh, the Rainier Chapter House on Capitol Hill. Beautiful. Yeah, it's fantastic. Check they, that out, everyone. They and were very supportive of our, of our of our need for a venue. They were great. So folks can get tickets ahead of time at theater22.org. Okay. Yes, and in fact, they have to get tickets ahead of time because it's a smaller venue, so we have limited seating. Okay. So they want to get their tickets in advance. Yes. Don't do the thing that everyone does, people, and wait till the last minute. Get on this. Get on it now because I can only take about half as many as I've been able to take in the past. So we need to, yeah, you need to chop chop on that. <laughs> okay. Uh, September fourteenth through no uh, October fifth act. The Construction Zone, what's going on with that? The Construction Zone is a newer program for ACT. So basically, Theater 22 has curated four brand new plays from around the country. But we actually have two local and two national uh, playwrights. Um, and those plays have been chosen. And we haven't... Actually, I'm, the press release is sitting on my desktop. <laughs> uh, so we're, it's on our website and we will be announcing it but I can I can go ahead and say it now please, too please do we have um, an, an amazing play the first play is uh, Y York who is a local playwright um, her play is Late in the Game uh, comedy uh, fantastic but a New York couple and then, then the next play is also a local playwright um, uh, The Ansel Intimacy beautiful play by Vincent Delaney my first time working with Vince so I'm thrilled to have met him and to be dealing with his script our third play is from a playwright in Florida um, who was, uh, years ago, lived in Seattle, which is how the connection was made. Natalie Simon's play, Naming True. And then our fourth play is a Teresa Rebeck new play. Called, Love her. Yeah, yeah as do I. Uh, called Downstairs. Um, all very unique, fantastic scripts. And we'll have, on a Wednesday night, for a month, each Wednesday, a different play. And then from that, we will choose one to be a main stage co-production with ACT for 2017, which will go up right about this time next, next year. So smart. Yeah. And then are you, are you asking for audience input on which one they like, or is it sort of... Oh, we'll absolutely how... be listening. You know, I'll be there and I'll be shaking hands and, you know, wanting to know, like, what do you think? What do you think? And hopefully people can come and see all four as a package. It's extremely affordable. They're, they're nice readings. We'll have professional talent, which we're still confirming casting on. Um, all local professional talents. So, and and we'll take feedback from from what everybody's thinking, and then choose from there. And I just want to highlight: so four plays, 
three written by women. Yes. How, what do you say to folks who say, I can't find plays written by women or it's too hard. You seem to have done it rather definitely and not even just 50, 50, three to one. What, I mean, what was that decision making process to sort of maybe pave the way for folks who are having a hard time finding gender parity in, in the things that they're putting together? Well, that was one thing I, I communicated a few months back, even before the, the play situation was I told people that, that have been courting our company, wanting to work with us, wanting to direct for us, wanting to write for us. I've been saying, great, you need to have a strong focus on the female voice, whatever that means to you. And I need, I need you know, 30 to 50% people of color. Like we, we're, we're, we've got to balance this out. Right. Um, so that was one. And it, it literally, it literally just, we, we did literally choose the best plays that we could find because my thought was, was that any one of these four plays, we need to be ready to produce tomorrow. Right. Because I could always choose one play and say, this is the one we're doing. And then fake the rest and then that play not be available next year or get picked up by some other theater. So I wanted all four to be, and it just happened to be that, that the majority of these were, were female voices. Not that I wouldn't have, you know, weighed that anyway, but sure. these are, it, it wasn't that we chose them because they're female voices. We chose them because they're the best plays. Go girls. Love it. Love it. It can be done. Yes, now, I think be. I think if people are listening to this, they know it can be done and they have a vested interest, but it's always nice to, Record that and have that out there for people. And then October 28th through November 19th, The Pride. The Pride. I tried to get The Pride years ago and somebody had the rights and I wasn't sure who. And then come to find out Arts West announced it in their season. And they had a director and they had actors and then for some reason they pulled it. And I think this might have been around the the change of of artistic directorship at Arts West. Okay. Um, And it's it's not been done uh, here in this region. It's a very, very powerful play about sexuality and homosexuality. It's a cast of four. playing. Three of the characters uh, play the same characters in 2008 and 1958. And then the, the fourth characters, multiple characters through both time periods. Wow. So we're seeing the difference. We're seeing, their, we're seeing the lives of people who are affected by homosexuality in, in the 50s and how they're affected. And then we're seeing the same characters and the same actors in 2008. Um, it's incredibly powerful. It might be a little bit controversial. I think it's a valuable story to tell. We do put a huge focus on the LGBT voice. Uh, and because, and especially now after Orlando and, and the tragedy of all yes. of that, the, I think that it is one of my own personal missions using the avenue of the company that I run to magnify and clarify what our culture as gay and lesbian and transgender men and women has been so that we don't forget it so that we can relate to it so that we can put a period on those sentences and so that's why we do these you know a pride, we call it a pride play every year it just happens that this one's called the pride uh-huh. um i think it's going to affect a lot of people in a lot of ways i know my base of patrons and i know my lgbtq patron base and i know some of them personally, and they're going to be deeply affected by the story, the reflection of it, and the reflection of kind of where we are now. And I think it's just so important that I use my voice and my skills to tell these stories. It's, it is part of my mission as an artist and as somebody who makes choices as to what plays are being told to do that. 
because I think that our community, even with all of the wonderful steps that we've and and rights and equality that we've gained, I think that there's still a lot of healing that needs to go on. I know that as a gay man, I I still am trying to resolve issues that have brought me to where I am in my life or have held me from where I am in my life. Right. And so any chance I get to offer that healing, I'm going to take it. And the pride is that this year. Mm. Can you uh, share the cast for that show? I can. Uh, Angela DeMarco. is Love our, her. I do too. I love her so much. Um, such a powerful actress and such an incredibly light being. I'm very excited to work with her. I also feel like I'm going to learn a lot from her. Mm. She is a craftsman and she is a pro. So um, very, very excited about that. Andre Nelson uh, is a, a fantastic actor that I'm, I feel is underutilized in Seattle, but I think it's just because they haven't all met him yet. A Cornish grad from a few years back, um, fantastic actor, and he's playing, uh, he's playing sort of the primary role in the sense that the man who is struggling the most with his sexuality, uh, this is, this is Andre's, Andre's role. And then we've got Trevor Marston, Mm. Uh, and one of the others whose um, his talent is remarkable and skill. And a new actor that I had not met until the audition, his name is Doug Fowl, um, that I have seen in some musical theater productions in town. And I think that's where a lot of his energy is going. It's a dream cast. It's a dream cast. I could not have dreamed of a better cast. And they're just so top-notch. You know, they're, they're pros in every definition of the word with high, high skill sets and skill levels. So they're... My job, I think, is actually going to be pretty easy with, with that. Isn't that, that nice group. as a director when yeah. you're just like, huh, I, I, I mean, there's so much to do, but it's like, oh, yeah. I sort of set myself up for success here right, with right, these right. people. Right. It's beautiful. Uh, okay. As we wind down our time together, uh, can you take us out with just sort of your, your advice for young theater artists? Like, what is the... You know your you know your rule book or your philosophy for folks who want to work more or get more work out there. What what advice do you give them? You know, I think um, and and this this is this is definitely a long could be a longer conversation or maybe it could be a shorter one. But I think you just have to get out there. You have to you have to work and you have to most often we have to work our way up. So we have to just get ourselves out there audition all we can meet all the people that you can and you if you're a director you know be an assistant director on a show to get into the theaters because you've got to you know you've aside from keeping your craft up to date and your craft sort of flowing you've also got to show interest in in the organizations that you want to work with right you know this is how eric mulholland who's played two of our pride productions uh and and how i actually became associated with with whidbey island and island shakespeare fest uh was eric had Eric's headshot had came across our desks for one of for one of our auditions, the Lisbon Traviata, but I already recognized him because he, I had met him in the lobby of two of our shows. Like I, oh, I met this guy. Oh yeah, we should call him in. You know what I mean? He he was present. He was already interested in who we were and what we were saying, and so when I recognized his photo, I was like, oh yeah yeah yeah, call him in, call him in. He's I've seen him. He, he's he's you know interested in who we are. Um, not that I'm saying you have to kiss ass to anybody, but it's right. 
you know, we, we were having this conversation today in the green room. It's like if I've got 10 actors who can all play the same role quite beautifully and three of them I've never heard of or seen before, well, I'm, that's how I'm going to start eliminating. I'm going to deal with the artists that I know and who I already trust. So a lot of it's just getting yourself out there and, and making sure that we, you know, know who you are and know what you're doing. And, and there will be theaters that are... Uh, uh, that you're a great fit for, that their kind of theater is your kind of theater. Get over there and support them. Show up for those shows. You know, volunteer if you have to or if you want to or if you can't. And if you can't, just showing up and making sure somebody knows your name is where you start. I think people underestimate or they think it's too, they think it's annoying to like check in on Facebook or take a program, you know, picture of a program and slap it up on Instagram. But that. It's social currency, right? Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. you're saying, it's not only showing up to see the work, but letting those in your community know that you're plugged in, you're invested. Yeah. Come see this. That somebody asked me today uh, uh, over the lunch break, Corey. You know, what, if you were looking for an intern, you know, what what's <laughs> the first thing that you're going to look for? And I said, I'm going to look for somebody. I'm not going to look for somebody who's going to, who's considering going to law school next year. I'm going to look at somebody who's in, who I can who I can invest in. So that they can invest in the community when they're ready. And it goes the same thing for our companies and for our casts. Like, who can we invest in that wants to invest in the greater community, right? So it's not about checking in to let everybody know that you're cool and that you're at that show. It's right. about checking in so that people know that you're listening. Are you listening? Are you paying attention to what's being done and who's doing it? And are you ready to support them in doing it? Because if you want to do it, you're going to need us to support you in doing it. So there is a little bit of scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. But it's really not about that. It's about investing in each other is really what it's about. So get out there. Audition all you can. Work. Work begets work. Work begets work. It doesn't matter. It's just work begets work. I can't say it enough. I love it. Well, thank you. Thank you. For coming on the podcast. Again, folks, come up to Whitby, or if you already live here, get out to Island Shakespeare Festival's season. All the info is at islandshakespearefest.org. Julius Caesar opens on July 14th. Thank you so much for being a guest. Thanks, Katie. I had a great time. Great to sit Me with too. you. Me too.